0: in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 8. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney.
1: You might wonder why doing worship We lift our hands. Might look around and think, man, that's weird. Never saw that the church I came from. Strange Christian people. But in the Bible, as God's people worshipped him, they would lift their hands to him. And it's interesting because they would lift their hands to him like this as they were worshipping and praising him. I think, I don't know if I told you this or not, but I'll tell you again. And they would to have your hands in this direction was to push praise toward the Lord. You know, just giving praise to God, pushing and exalting and pushing the praises to him. And then to have your hands like this as the children of Israel would gather around the temple and they would have their hands like this or their hands like this. Was to, it spoke of asking God for something. So, Lord, I need you to fill me. Lord, give to me. Lord, hear my cry, O God, and attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth I cry unto thee. My heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Lead me. And so they would hold their hands like this to ask God to put something in their hands to give to them. And so it is a good thing. It's a great thing. It's an awesome thing to raise your hands to God. Whether you would be pushing praises toward him or to open your hands before him, to ask him, Lord, bless me. That's okay. And ask the Lord to bless you and to fill your life. It's a wonderful thing to praise God. It's a wonderful thing to know God. It is a wonderful, wonderful thing to be a Christian. Amen Amen and amen. It is a wonderful thing to be a Christian. Why, Rodney? Why are you so excited, man? Chill. I can't. Because as I study this book, and I see what is to come upon the earth and what is to happen to the dwellers, to the earth dwellers, those who are still here after the rapture of the church, I am forced to praise God because he hath delivered me. And he's delivered you if you're a Christian. If you know Jesus, these things that we're going to study this morning, they shouldn't be fearful and frightful to you. They should be a wonderful thing because you know that you are going to escape these things. Now, for your loved ones and for people who don't know Jesus, these are going to be fearful things that we're going to look at this morning. But as you study the book of Revelation, it is important, it's paramount. Listen, to keep in mind that John is writing to Christians. Pastor John, he's a pastor of a church, of a group of people. And John is writing to a group of people as a pastor, and these people are suffering under the throne of Rome. These people are being pressured and persecuted under the winds of the pressures and the persecutions of Rome. Rome has declared war on the Christians. These are our brothers and sisters. It's important for you to remember that these are your brothers and sisters. These are not just people in the Bible. So often we read the Bible and we think, well, those are, you know, those people or, or John or, you know, the apostles and those people. But wait, no, these people that we, that are under this persecution and are suffering under the throne of Rome are your brothers and sisters who are being persecuted in some unbelievable ways. And they're being torn on racks just because they're Christians. Just because they say they're Christians. They're being torn on racks, torn apart, skinned alive, fed to the lions. They would starve the lions and then throw Christians in the dens. And the lions would. These are your brothers and sisters. They would dip them in wax and then strategically place them in the gardens of the emperor and then light them on fire. It's awful. And these Christians, they don't have a voice. They don't have money. They don't have power. They don't have prestige. They don't have a voting coalition. They have nothing. They're just pressured and persecuted. And so as you study the book of Revelation, it is important for you to keep that in your mind. Often people will go to this book and study it because they can learn about end times prophecy. They can study eschatology is your word for the day. It means the study of end times and in the world that we live in. And, you know, uh, all the psychic stuff going on and, and and, and you know, Dionne Warwick and, and Sister Cleo and, and uh, brother joe and all these people who who are in the psychic thing so goes the church and oh, let's look at the book of Revelation because we can study the end time. We can know what's going to happen in the future. Well, listen, that is true. We will study, understand what is going on what is going to happen in the future. But that is not the reason why you study this book. And that's not the platform by which you want to jump off as you study this book. John is writing to Christians who are being persecuted. And yes, we will learn about end times prophecy. But don't forget that John is is writing to Christians who are being suffered. We're being persecuted and you need to hear the heart of John as he writes these people in AD 96. These Christian brothers and sisters. Suffering, And John is writing them to encourage them. He says, listen, Christian, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, although you're suffering under the throne of Rome, there in chapter 4, John would say the first thing he saw when he got to heaven was a throne that is set in heaven. So what is he saying? Christian, listen, you are suffering, I understand. But understand something? There's a throne that is set in heaven. Therefore, you must keep your eyes on things eternal. Look up. Because Jesus is going to come someday and what you see right now is only temporary. It's just temporary because I saw, John would say, a throne that is set in heaven. Look up. Keep your eyes on eternity, John would tell these suffering saints. Now, if you haven't been with us, chapter 4, the church is raptured on a honeymoon in heaven with Jesus. Chapter 5, Jesus takes the title deed to the planet Earth. Chapter 6, after taking the title deed to the Earth, Jesus then begins to open the seals one at a time. And as each seal is open, it releases a cataclysmic, catastrophic chaos upon the Earth. The first seal is open, a, a rider on a white horse comes in. We identified him as who? As the Antichrist. Very good. And this is the man of the hour. Oh, he's going to bring peace to the Middle East. He's going to solve the Israeli-Palestinian crisis. He's going to come as that first seal is open. And then the second seal is open and it brings bloody war. The third seal is open and it brings Famine And the fourth seal is open and the rider comes forth on a pale horse bringing with him disease and plagues and death. And a fourth of the earth's population is dead. The fifth seal is open and we saw under the altar the slaughtered martyrs. Those who have been saved during the tribulation. But they have given a testimony of Jesus Christ and they have been slaughtered. And it's there under the altar that they cry out, Lord, how long will you wait to avenge your, yourself. And Jesus says "Now's not the time. We have to wait. Because there's others who are going to be saved. And then the sixth seal is opened, Which brought mass destructions. Earthquake and natural disasters in heaven. Yet surprisingly people who knew that it was the judgment of God. They refused to repent. Why? Because their hearts had become hard. And then last week. We looked at, we called it chapter 7. We called it the divine intermission. Remember, as God put a pause on the opening of the seventh seal. And in the seventh chapter, we saw 144,000 Jehovah's Witnesses sealed. Is that right? Say no. No. Y'all like, what you talking about, Willis? heresy, man. No, 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams going throughout the earth, preaching the gospel to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people there in chapter seven. All the seals are released to prepare the planet for the coming of the king, which brings us to chapter eight. This morning in chapter eight, we have the opening of the seventh and final seal Which brings us to the trumpet judgments. They begin here in chapter 8. Now, chapter 8 outlines really nicely verses 1 through 6, we have the preparation for the judgments. The preparation for the judgments. And in verses 7 through 13, if you're taking notes, I encourage you to do so. Verses 7 through 13, we have the desolation of the judgments. Verses 1 through 6, the preparation for the judgments, and then comes the desolation. Things get hot, things get heavy, and desolate. You could title this chapter, Pause, Praise, and Punishment. Pause, Praise, and Punishment. With that, Revelation chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, if you're there, would you say a hearty amen? amen? And when he opened the seventh seal, there was Note this, silence in heaven for about a half hour. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. When the seventh seal was opened, something happened in heaven that had never happened in heaven before. What's that? There was a holy hush. In heaven. I was talking to a sister between the services. She said, Man, that's a long time to be silent. I said, Do you really want a response? But she was just making the point that 30 minutes of silence, think about it. You and I are talking, right? And we're in my office, we're just sitting talking. And either of us say anything for 30 minutes. That's a long, long time. Is it a long time not to say a word for 30 minutes? In heaven, there is silence for 30 minutes or a half hour. Now, I'm sure that John wasn't wearing a Timex In heaven, you knew that. Say amen. Of course, you're all smart people. So we don't know how he knew that it was 30 minutes or a half hour, but the Bible does tell us that in heaven there was silence for when the seventh seal was opened, there was silence for a half hour, for 30 minutes. Now listen, there has always been noise in heaven. There's always been noise in heaven. Heaven's a noisy place, actually. We know from Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. And then all the angels were crying out there in heaven. Holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty. In Ezekiel, Ezekiel saw a vision of God in heaven. And guess what they were doing? They were worshiping there in heaven. Chapter four in the book of Revelation. From the throne proceeds lightnings and thunders and voices. And the four living creatures haven't slept because they are repeating holy, holy, holy Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. 24 elders are saying you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. Chapter 5 Ten thousand times ten thousands of angels are saying you are worthy, O Lord, to take the scroll and to loose the seals for eons and eons and eons and eons. In heaven, there's always noise. People are worshiping God in heaven. Always. And now for the first time, it's completely silent completely and totally silent in heaven for a half hour. Now, one Bible commentator suggested that the very fact that there was silence in heaven for a half hour proves that there were no women there. I don't agree with that, ladies. I'm with you. Me and you, we are right here. I don't agree with that. I totally disagree with that. I'm just telling you what he said. That's all. Now now picture this, picture this. Most of us have heard the hallelujah chorus of Handel's Messiah, most of us. And they say that it is the most powerful and moving musical composition ever written. It's 1743. King George attended the London premiere of the Messiah. And while seated as the, and while seated as the Hallelujah chorus was being performed, as the first of the Hallelujahs was sung, the King was so deeply moved that he spontaneously rose to his feet and he stood for the remainder of the performance with his eyes glistening with emotion. Well, at that time, the rest of the audience, seeing the king standing reverently, as the chorus continued to build in power and in force, the audience also stood to its feet. Now, if you're familiar with the performance, you know that the song builds to a climax H, And at the climax H, the orchestra and the choir, they suddenly stop. And there's a thundering silence full of awe and intense anticipation. And the chorus is still ringing in your ear. Although there's a silence, it's still ringing in your ear. That's the idea here. All of heaven is worshiping. The four living creatures are saying holy. Elders are shouting worthy. The angels praising and the tribulation saints are praying. And then suddenly there's silence. Why? Why? We don't know why. We don't know Why? There is a guy, believe it or not, that wrote a book on what was happening during this 30 minutes of silence in heaven. And people actually wrote the book, bought the book. What did the book have in it? Blank pages? What's up with that? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. The Bible says that there was silence in heaven and the Bible nowhere in the scriptures does it tell us tell us what that silence was. Therefore, biblical rule of interpretation, number one, numero uno, where the Bible is silent, you be silent. I don't know what the guy wrote. The Bible doesn't tell us. We just know that there was silence in heaven. Now, let me suggest, I suggest to you speculation that this silence was the calm before the storm. The calm before the storm because things are about to get really intense. Earl Palmer writes, and I love this quote from him. He writes, it is the silence of mystery and intense waiting there is communicated in a very dramatic way in this quietness the full and awesome authority of God. Everything must wait for his kingly move. Would not you love that? All of heaven is reduced to silence in anticipation of the grim destruction. And notice what happens after the half hour of silence. Notice in verses 2 through 6. And I saw the seven angels. Notice the seven angels who stand before God. And to them were given seven trumpets. Now you should remember the number seven because the number seven is important in the book of Revelation. The number seven speaks of completeness. Or completion. So these seven angels who stand before God, and to them was given seven trumpets. Then another angel in verse 3, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints. Ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel, note this, took the censer. He filled it with fire or a coal of fire from the altar and he threw it to the earth. And there was noises and then thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. And so the seven angels had been given seven trumpets, prepared themselves to sound. Now give me your attention if you will. Notice these are a special group of angels. Notice the angels in verse 2. I saw the the seven angels. So this is a special group of angels and each one of them was given a trumpet in preparation for the trumpet judgments that would follow. Now, when these New Testament Christians, our brothers and sisters, when they read this they completely knew exactly what John was talking about. You see when they read the Bible, you've got to understand something, the New Testament actually hadn't been written yet. So if they heard trumpets, immediately in their mind they would think of the Old Testament because their Bible was the Old Testament. So when they studied the Bible, they didn't study Matthew to Revelation. They studied from Genesis to Malachi. They studied the Old Testament. And whenever you brought up trumpets among the children of God or the people of Israel, they knew exactly what you were talking about because trumpets were a very important part of Jewish life. They completely understood trumpets. Now, when I was in Israel a couple of times ago, I bought what is called a shofar. I should have bought it out here. I'll show it to you. A shofar. And it's a ram's horn. It's the trumpet. And I can't blow that thing. My, my son can somehow blow it. I don't know how. I just can't get it to sound. But it's called a shofar. And in Jewish life, it was very important because they used it for many, many things. They would use it to gather people. Like if they wanted to bring all the people together, we might kind of yell and say, hey, everybody, Come here. Everybody get around, get around. Well, they would just blow the shofar. Or when they were going into battle, they would blow the shofar to announce war. And also they would use it to announce just special events. So when the trumpet blew in the Old Testament, it was always a sound of victory and liberation and good news for the people. Now, before the judgments are delivered, Our attention in verses 3 through 5 is directed to the altar of incense in heaven. You see that? The altar of incense in heaven. Now, I know that we are all good Bible students. Amen. And we all know from the Old Testament the setup of the tabernacle. You remember the tent, the tabernacle that they would take down and move, set it back up? In the tabernacle, there were two compartments. The first would be the holy place. And beyond the holy place was a, a room called the most holy place or the holy of holies. And what separated the holy place from the most holy place or the holy of holies was a veil, the veil of the temple. And that veil was approximately 18 inches thick. It was purple. It was Beautiful, and it had woven on it angels with trumpets blowing. It separated the two compartments. Well, in front of the veil of the temple was the altar of incense, and this is where the priest would take a golden censer, and in that censer, the priest would put incense. And he would put the golden censer containing the incense and he would place it on the altar. Now, Psalm 141, verse 2. Let my prayer be set before you, David says, as incense. So burning incense on the altar in the Bible is a picture of the sweet prayers of God's people ascending up to God. Isn't that beautiful? It's just a picture of our sweet prayers ascending up to god now here we see in our text in verses three through five we see that the angel is doing the same thing as the priest the angel takes the censer with the incense and he offers it with the prayers of the saints these are the prayers that all of the suffering martyrs have prayed in faith
0: you have been listening to salt and light a radio outreach ministry of pastor rodney finch and calvary chapel Cary, located in apex north carolina